All right, we get to welcome up a very special family um, this morning. If we could welcome up the Chanleys, that would be awesome. Hey guys. Um, I had to bring my notes up because it's, I know it's emotional for them, but it triggered something in me, their story. Um, they're going to tell us a little bit of a story that has to do with what Gary's going to be speaking about today, but it's also their last Sunday here at PCC. Um, so we are going to really miss them, and uh, this is an emotional time for them as well, so we're going to get a chance to pray for them in just a minute. Um, Gary's going to be speaking about Abraham from the Bible, and if you don't know who he is, he's the father of our faith. We are all children of Abraham. Out of his lineage came Jesus, our Savior, and we follow him. And there's a story, it says in Hebrews, it talks about um, God asking Abraham to go somewhere and saying, I want you to go to this new land. And Abraham didn't even really know where he was going, but he followed and he was obedient. And this family has been led to go. And so we're going to hear a little bit about that from you all. And... Um, I was just wondering, how did God make it clear um, to you two that you were called to leave the Bay Area? And this is Greg, and this is Serena, by the way. So Greg, why don't you tell us? Well, thank you, Janet. Thank you, PCC. The past few years have been fantastic learning and growing and maturing in Christ. Uh, you know, a few months ago, it was very clear what we wanted to do, and now it's so confusing. Uh, but in that said, you know, we really want to pursue a Christ-centered home, and I think that the challenges here have become a little too much and that we really want to prioritize our family, not just myself, but our family on Christ, and that's helping us choose this direction. Okay, and Serena, you can go ahead and hand that to her. Serena, what would you say? I was getting uh, slow and kind of uncomfortable nudging and having anxiety that I couldn't explain and uh, seeking answers and parental worry and uh, I... I was looking for answers to those those uh, emotions. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so yesterday, here, Greg, I'll just let you two pass that back and forth. <laughs> um, yesterday, I was in their house and just um, a little bit more about that. You know, it was just really wrestling with uh, how the distraction things that were pulling them away from their focus on Christ, and they really felt like God was saying, "You know what? I have a new direction for you. I have a new way that I want you to walk." So we say a lot that God speaks to us, and Gary will make this clear in his primarily through His Word. But there's also circumstances and things that kind of come around that, and we hear His voice. And so how did you hear his voice telling you it was time to go? So I think it just, again, was slow and slow and um, in a process. Uh, you know, I always said, I wish there was a dream and a sign and whatnot, but I think it was a very slow, um, and things changed for us in the Bay Area. The challenges we had and the, the, uh, the goals we had in the Bay Area were really getting uh, thrown off course. Uh, we found those goals within PCC and this God community, but I tell you, the rest of the place wasn't quite cooperating. So we really wanted to find uh, more life within uh, Christ. So there was a struggle in your work and all those different places you were feeling that, like God was speaking through all the difficulty, really? Absolutely. Okay. Yes. I, I called it prickly pushes and um, gentle invitation is what I was feeling. And uh, I was finding that I wasn't spending my time doing what I think Christ was asking me to do. 
and, and so whether I was, um, uh, I wasn't being authentic, I think. Mm-hmm. And some of my, where the hours I was spending, and I, I wanted to correct that. And you were saying something about hope, like hope, how was hope? Hope was closing, whether it be in my job or the high school placement I was looking for, or hope closing and then hope opening. And how did hope open for you? There were a variety of little, not little, but they meant big, big signs to me. And it would be as simple as um, where we went to vacation, all of a sudden became, there's my favorite bird and it's staring at me and it won't leave. And there's uh, someone else that says, are you a believer? Like, yeah, are you a believer? Where do you go to church? And then we went to this sweet church and it was, there was one welcome after another and we were just visiting on vacation and it just continued to grow in that gentle invitation that God can do so sweetly. So you found doors shutting here and doors opening there and then got, so you heard God's voice in the midst of that. That's a good way to put it. Thank you, Janet. That's awesome. Um, So one more question is like, what did, okay, in order to follow God, and when he asks us to step out in faith, we have to let go of control, let go of our grip on things. And so what did you have to let go of? Well, I definitely had to let go of control. There was no doubt that was a big part of my life and my career and my family and and life here. So letting go of control and and putting faith in God that he can provide for us. Uh, The other part here, I think, is the materialistic goals we have and uh, that I have and we were able to pursue really took us off track to what I want for myself and for our family. So, you know, the Christ-centered home, the Christ-centered people that we choose to be and we want to be, uh, we're getting so overwhelmed by uh, the community that we were in. So we're choosing to uh, try to focus on that instead of being distracted from that. So you let go of control and then Serena, what do you have to let go of? I, I let go of uh, my career, 28 years, same classroom, uh, teacher. Uh, I let go of, well, it was plans. It was plans I had for my career, for my son's schooling, plans of my own. And then uh, born and raised here, and, and my run partners, and my running trails, and letting go of, here's the hardest one, my church family. My church family. Mm-hmm. We've all found a place that has supported us with um, uh, growing and worshiping, playing, and, and there was such growth. Mm. And uh, I love being a stakeholder at PCC. And we're going to take that little stake with us. <laughs> That's okay. So I know for the boys, too, that this is um, a big transition for them. And um, so what we want to do is, I mean, I, the reason it triggered me is we've moved many times. And, but what I know about moving is that God prepares the people that you're going to meet um, on the other side. He has a gift for you there. And he also has a purpose and a plan for what you're going to be doing there for him as a family. So we want to pray into that and we want to bless you in that. So church, if you could extend your hand towards this family, let's pray. Lord, this is what faith is. It is moving um, with you into the unknown, knowing that you hold the future that you have a bigger plan and a bigger purpose and that you will meet us in that place. 
God, we are so grateful for the Chanley family, and we thank you for their time with us here at PCC. We thank you for what you've done in them, and we thank you what you've done through them. And they will always be a part of us because we are the body of Christ. Lord, we pray specifically for the boys. God, we we ask more than anything for them that their um, understanding of you as their heavenly father would grow, that they would know that they they are loved by you, that you will never leave them and never forsake them. And God, that you have, and this is part of the forming and shaping of their lives. God, we ask um, for the entire family for that, um, that ministry that you are calling them into the way that you want. I know Greg wants to tell everyone about Jesus up there, so I pray that you would give him many, many, many opportunities and show the family how to walk and how to serve you there. And um, we thank you for them, and we bless them, and we give them into your hands. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, thank you. Let's give them a hand. Morning, church. Good morning, Chanleys. Thank you for sharing. Hey, grab your message notes, please, and grab another response card. You need to have two at your uh, access. Wow, what an amazing, amazing um, illustration of what it means to do this. So hold that story as we step into this message, okay? Here's the reality, men and women. Anything we hold dear, we must hold loosely. It's counterintuitive to the human experience. We saw this played out in your story. We think if we value it, we've got to cling it and protect it and hold on to it. But the reality is, as followers of Christ, and if you're not a follower of Christ, you are so welcome here. I'm glad you're here. And this will be a great primer for you on what it means to walk by faith. As a follower of Christ, you've got to open your hand because as long as you hold on to it, what we're saying to God is, uh, I need this. I can't imagine my life without this. and I've got to protect it I will actually protect it God more than you will protect it and God says no 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 anything you hold dear you have to hold loosely and we see that lived out in the Chanleys in this story right here look at page one I've found in walking with the Lord for 35 years there are four areas where God continually calls me to release my grip and maybe you can identify with these. I'm going to ask you to identify with these. So keep a trialogue going right now. As you listen to me, listen to the Holy Spirit, and be ready to write down, okay? In these four areas, page one of your notes, and maybe you can identify. First, our possessions. God calls us to hold those like this. And I don't just mean things with a price tag, right? What you drive or where you live or what you wear. Uh, Some of our possessions that are most dear don't have a price tag. I'm talking about possessing health, possessing youth, possessing beauty, possessing intellect. God calls us to hold these like this, earning power your possessions, or our status. This could be the identity or the security we get through our position, through our title, through our jobs. Uh, Two weeks ago, I was being, I picked up a request. My fraternity is doing a uh, new catalog. It was, they were updating the catalog nationally. And so I called in to give him my latest information. And uh, as I was talking to the guy, he dropped God language subtly. And I picked up on that. I said, are you a follower of Christ? He goes, I am. 
He goes, so am I. And so we had a great thing and, and we talked a long way and prayed actually on the phone. I don't know who this guy was, but we were praying together and that's the kingdom, right? It's beautiful. So, um, so then we finished. He goes, well, I got to ask you some questions. I'm like, go ahead, go ahead. He goes, what do you do? I said, I'm a pastor. He goes, oh, wow. He goes, he goes now you're brother in Christ, right? I'm like, yeah. He goes, I'm going to call you on something. I didn't ask who you are. I asked what you do. And you gave me a title. Come on, you're better than that. If you're a brother in Christ, you're a follower of Christ. Now, what do you do? And I said, oh, thank you. I pastor people. See, I, I mixed what I did with who I was in, in this I don't know, I'll meet him in heaven and then rebuke him for getting at me um, and say, what are you doing? We hold our status like that, right? Okay. Our dreams. Now we're going to get really tough. The death of a dream is brutal. Seeing the implosion of a long-awaited desire or something you work towards for many years can leave you feeling broken and reeling in so many ways. Listen, God wants you to dream, but hold those dreams like this. You know, my life stage, I have so many peers, and in some way for me too, where you just go, gosh, my, I thought I'd be somewhere different right now in character or in relationship or in career, your dreams. Or it could be, and this is the hardest of all, relationships. And when spouses or parents or brothers or sisters or children or family members or friends are taken from us through death, through divorce, or sin, or simply a geographical move. Anything you hold dear, you have to hold loosely. Now this is where you self-evaluate. Look at those four things. Where do you sense the Holy Spirit saying to you, I think you're clinging a little bit to this too tightly. Look down at that list. Ultimately, the decision to hold anything loosely is an act of faith. Instinctively, uh, to release our clutch of what we value most is saying to God, you can provide and take care of this much better than I can. And that's not easy. Probably no one learned this lesson better than Abraham uh, throughout his whole life, but certainly where we pick up the story when he's 100 years old in Genesis chapter 22. This would be his graduate level final exam. And this is not a story about loss of possessions or uh, about the loss of a status or loss of a dream. This is a story of releasing your grip of a son, a father releasing his grip of a son. I don't think there's a more intimate story in all the Old Testament than this. So open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 22, remembering what the Holy Spirit's convicting you of, of what you're holding on to. Turn to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22. And let's walk with him up Mount Moriah, where he walked with his son, uh, Isaac. Are you there? Genesis 22? Yeah? Okay. Let's walk through first the call. Genesis chapter 22. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. Now, just be very clear. Uh, this test is not necessarily a test to see if you make it to the next level. This is thinking like a blood test. 
This is a test to see what's inside. This was not a test to see uh, from God's perspective that his curiosity could be satisfied. This was a test for Abraham to prove what was there. Big difference. Okay, so God tested Abraham. That word testing means to prove the quality of something. That word in the Hebrew Old Testament. Okay, to prove the quality of something. He said, Abraham, here I am. If you get my weekly email, you got an email about that very word. For me, uh, one word in the original Hebrew language, the most uh, powerful word I believe in all the Old Testament. Uh, The word is Hanani. And it's only used eight times in all the Old Testament by four characters in the Old Testament. We'll actually, next week in Moses, see that same word come out. The word means no conditions. The word means it's an answer to a call where you're fully present. Where you're saying to whoever's calling you, I don't know what the question is, but the answer is yes. Here I am. I don't like that word because I live it out. I like that word because it challenges me. You know this, and I'm just going to remind you, but any act of obedience ultimately costs us as followers of Christ more than we ever bargained for. And God ultimately provides a blessing bigger than we ever dreamed of. The two are true. Thank God he doesn't tell us the whole details of the call from the start. All he wants to know is, are you responding with a yes, no conditions? What do you want? Let me ask it this way. What are the conditions you tend to place on your obedience when it comes to following Christ? I'll follow you, God, but don't ask me to do that. I'm giving you all, but I'm holding back on this. Here I am, God, all of me except this relationship. I want that for me. You can't have that. See, it makes this call on Abraham, frankly, his response, all the more breathtaking. Here I am, no conditions. Uh, A couple weeks ago, I told you my daughter and I were at a father-daughter camp. It was called the J.H. Ranch. The H stood for hospitality. And this camp um, prided itself, in a good way, on customer service. And so at the uh, service desk, when you went up to ask for things, there was a big, bold sign. And here's what it said. In bold letters, the answer's yes. And then under it was not bold letters. Now what's your question? That's Hanani. That's what the Chamlings are doing. The answer is yes. Now, what's your question? Here I am, Abraham says. Then God said, Take your son. Uh, that would be your only son, the one whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain that I will show you. A commentator really helped me with this because many of us get tripped up at this point and go, really? What kind of God would demand that a father sacrifice his son? Uh, And this commentator was bringing out that to ask that very question is to look at the ancient text written in the East, uh, this was about 6,000 years ago, from a Western perspective. The reality was in Abraham's day, this commentator said, um, all the small G gods would ask their adherents to sacrifice their children. Uh, In Jesus' day, that would happen. 
I told you three weeks ago a story of an Ethiopia just 15 years ago where that continues to take place. Children are sacrificed. This commentator brought out, he said, the amazing thing, Abraham isn't freaking out or protesting. He wasn't alarmed by the request because he knew all the gods were asking that. What's amazing about this story is this is the only God, Jehovah, Yahweh, God, is the only God who would ask for a sacrifice. Are you ready? And then provide the sacrifice himself. No other God did that. So when you look at it from that perspective, it's all the difference in the world. And of course, we know that years later, thousands of years later, God would do that with himself, right? So Abraham, here I am, go sacrifice your son. At this point, climbing up Mount Moriah, he sees the mountain and he's doing the math and it's not adding up. There's no way I can do that. That's most of the time in my life, you can probably relate, where you check out on obedience. Because you look with your, your blinded vision, my blinded vision, you do the human math and you go, there's no way. There's no way that's going to work good for me. So I know I said Hanani, but now I'm putting conditions. No. Be careful, men and women, uh, when God calls us to obedience, of equating life through human math standards. I have found that most of my life and with my family, an act of obedience, human math doesn't add up because God wants us to use supernatural math. Back when I was um, a youth pastor in Marin, there was a little middle schooler, and uh, she was a spunky, crazy middle schooler, early 90s. And then I left and went to seminary, and she grew up. By grew up, I meant six foot, four inch grew up. She became really tall. And in high school, she was an amazing athlete in Marin County. She was one of the top recruits in the whole nation for women's basketball. I used to be on staff with an athletic ministry uh, at the college level called Athletes in Action. So she would call me and go, hey, I'm going to this campus. Can you get an Athletes in Action staff person to meet with me? I'm thinking of going here. Can you get them to meet with me? And, uh, and she got recruited and went to a Division I uh, school. The year she went to the Division I school was the first year that school made it into the NC2A tournament. And she started as a freshman, true freshman. She was making it. But similar to the Chanleys, all the uh, notoriety and all that came with that, she started becoming susceptible to it. And I'll, I'll never forget, she, her parents actually called me and said, she needs to transfer. She, she wants to go to a Bible college. But everyone around her is saying, if she goes to a Bible college, she'll never fulfill her dream of the WNBA. See, the human math, everyone's saying, doesn't add up. What should she do? And you know what she did? She honored God with her soul and her heart and went to a place called the Master's College, a small college with an NAIA. They weren't even Division II, NAIA team. And they, they did great in the NAIA championships. But then she graduated, and here's where the supernatural math comes in. Guess who was a first-round draft choice in the WNBA that year with a whole heart for Jesus at this point? Aaron Busher. And guess who eventually took her team to the WNBA finals and won them? Aaron Busher, which gave her a national audience with a whole heart for Christ to give glory to God. And guess who was the MVP of the WNBA finals that year? Aaron Busher. And guess who landed in the president's office in the White House as he was congratulating all the winning team of the WNBA? Aaron Busher. 
As the president was, as you know, very sincerely but glad-handing and passing people along, guess who pushed back in the president's hand with a whole heart for Christ and said, hey, I just want you to know, and just stopped the moment and said, I'm, I'm praying for you. And the president said, what? Yeah, I'm praying for you. What are you praying for? And she shared with him her desire for the president, not that he didn't have it, but to have a whole heart in his devotion to Jesus Christ. See, that human math didn't add up, but God had other plans and wanted a whole heart, and God would take care of the ends. She had to trust him with the means. I share that story because that's what gets in our way of Hanani. We don't hold it open-handed. We clutch because we do the math and we go, there's no way this will work. And we take it back, right? Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Is it just me? Okay. So there's the call. There's the call. Um, now, look at your areas, your four areas. Is there a call that God has for you to hold one of those areas open-handed? To trust him with supernatural math? Look at the response. Verse 3. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place that God told him about. On the third day, this took a long time to get up there, uh, uh, Abraham looked up and saw the place at a distance. He told his servant, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. What's the next three words? We will, thank you Angie, worship. What? Wait, wait a second. Last time I checked, pianos weren't invented yet. Tabitha wasn't alive back then. There was no organ at Mount Moriah. Maybe there's something more to worship outside of a sanctuary. Maybe every act of obedience we have is an act of worship. And maybe what we do here in singing is to prepare us because we're renewed with the character of God to live out worship. Look at this. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Circle we in verse 5 twice. Abraham was holding on to kingdom realities even when he didn't see them. Here's what we knew about Abraham, what he knew actually. Hebrews 11, if you're taking notes, verse 17 to 19 talks about this. We don't have time to get into it, but if you're taking notes, well, there's some of it. Hebrews 11, verse 17 to 19, it's a commentary on this. Can we go to what Abraham knew? Bro, here's what he knew. He did the math. One, in Isaac was the fulfillment of God's promise. So he knew Isaac must live. Two, God always keeps his promise. Three, God's power is absolute, even over death. So holding on to that, even though he couldn't see it, he climbed this mountain with his arms wide open, holding Abraham up the mountain. I want to say this uh, humbly. Be careful limiting your obedience to what you can see. Human vision is so limiting when it comes to following Christ. God has things ready and waiting for you that you can't see from this perspective. And he calls you to step out in faith and trust him even though you don't see the outcome. And I know in my life, most of the time, I step back 
and go, this makes no human sense. And it's my human vision that limits my obedience. Be careful of letting human vision, what you can see, limit your obedience. Then the test, look at this. Verse six, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And then he carried the fire and the knife himself. As the two of them went together, and now we're going to go really slow. The author slows down to a, like a crawl. Isaac spoke up and he said to his father, Father, yes, my son. The wood and the fire are here, Isaac said. But, but where's the lamb? Human vision. How's this going to work out? Remember what Abraham's holding to? God gave a promise. Isaac was the fulfillment of that promise. God keeps his promise. That was his vision, not what he saw. Abraham replied, this is so key, verse 8, God himself will provide a lamb for the burnt offering. My son. And the two of them went up together. Now this is why this is so important where this is us. At this point, I could get really cruel, and it would be terrible. It would be immoral for me to say, Abraham climbed up the mountain saying, I must obey. I must obey. I must obey. That is not the application of this message. There's grace. And what Abraham went up saying, look at verse 8 yourself. His mantra to himself, his renewing of his mind that transformed him was not, I must obey. I must obey. It was this. It was this. God will provide, God will provide, God will provide, God will provide. And so we could hold him like that. Look, I must obey. You will not be obedient with that renewing of your mind. You will not. That will have you fall short. You are, and I am so limited in our human capacity. But the good news, church, is that we have grace today and every day and every step of the mountain. God will provide for today. 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 That's where this is us speaks to me and speaks to you. Verse 9. When they reached the place that God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac. There's so much in those five words. Oh, just think about it for a minute. I, if I had two weeks on this passage, next week I'd preach from Isaac's perspective. This is a lesson for Isaac as well as for Abraham. But can you imagine what his son is saying right now? What he's doing? He laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Now, some parents uh, in reading this, we freak out. But you know this as well as I do. I just want to encourage us as parents. This is the posture we have to take with our kids. We have to release them to God. God is more than able to parent our kids. We can't keep them in our grip as much as we'd like to, as much as we feel like I've got to keep them in my grip. I've got to protect them. God says, oh, oh, oh. Wait a second, they're my kids too. I can be faithful with your kids. I have five daughters, as you know, and I'm continually, Ann and I are finding, having to release our grip through accidents, through surgeries, through the call of God on their life to go to dangerous places, through activities when we're not with them. Every time we leave them on a college campus and I'm bawling like a baby, 
It's because I feel like I can't protect them. But God says, I'm so much better than you are at this. Release them to my grip. Then he reached out his hand, verse 10, and he took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, what did he say? You tell me. Hanani, I want you to think just for a second, what does that tell you about this response of Hanani? It's not a one-time response. As you walk that road of obedience, God is continually going to call you to a Hanani response. Abraham had to do it twice. We don't have time, but Samuel did it multiple times. Moses, we only see once. Isaiah, we only see once. But mark my words, every time you respond with a here I am, no conditions, the answer is yes. That call will be tested, not by God, but by circumstances. And you continually have to renew your mind. I'm still here. You're still God. I'm still holding this like this. That's where Abraham was brought. It's one thing to say Hanani down on the mountain. It's a whole other thing to say Hanani when your son's on the altar and the knife is raised. I'm still here, God. There's still no conditions to my obedience. You still are a provider. It's amazing to me. It's amazing to me. Don't lay a hand on the boy, verse 12, he said. Don't do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you've not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there were in the thicket he saw a ram caught by the horns. There's the supernatural math. There's the supernatural that he had no idea about but God knew all along. He went over to took, and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide, literally provide, we'll see to it will take care of it. And to this day it is said, this is really important for what I'm about to say, it said on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. Circle that in your Bible. Here's the amazing thing of God. After this event, hundreds and hundreds of years later, on that very mountain, Mount Moriah, it would accommodate a city called, anyone know? Jerusalem. And on that mountain would be a temple. And at that temple, at Passover, at that very spot, thousands of lambs would be sacrificed to atone for the sins of the people. And it was at that temple that our Savior, the Lamb of God, would be condemned to die. And near that mountain where it says, of the Lord it will be provided, the son was laid on an altar. On the wood, it was a cross, and the father didn't provide a ram because the son was the lamb of God for us. It's the reason why this very story is a key pivotal story in all three of the major world religions. Islam, Judaism, and Christianity all look to this story as a key story. The Lord will provide. In that place where it's called the Lord will provide, a ram became Isaac's substitute. And in that place where it says the Lord will provide, Jesus became ours. Isn't that amazing? This story vividly displays the character of God who asks nothing from Abraham and nothing from you that he doesn't ask of us. We've got to pull out of the sermon. So look at the bottom of page three and let's get to application. Look at the Trinity here. 
God the Father shows us how to live in this story as parents when he releases and as he releases the Son of God to us. Romans 8.32 might be good application here where it talks about if God didn't spare Jesus, how will he not also graciously give us all things? Romans 8.32. So we see God the Father through this story amazingly displayed and is a great model of, of what it means to be a parent, right? Releasing our kids. We see God the Son showing us how to die as he released himself to the Father. Both Isaac and Jesus did that. And you know in the Christian life, dying is the new living, right? You know that. We're in a season as a church, a uh, horrible season in, in a human perspective where we're seeing uh, just a lot of people dying. It's painful. It is painful. And I'm reminded, and I need to remind us all that we're not going to, if we're following Christ, we're not going to glorify God in our life alone. God has a way for us to glorify him through our death. And dying is the new living. We also see, lastly, that God the Spirit will show us both how to live and how to die by empowering us to release whatever has us in its grip. You're sitting there and you're looking at your four categories and you're holding on to that thing and you're saying, I can't let go. That's the whole point. It's not on you to let go. That's why we have a Holy Spirit to empower us and to give us grace to let go. So I'm gonna close by asking once again, what is it that you're gripping so tightly right now? Is it a possession? Is it a position? Is it a dream? Is it a relationship? Can I encourage us with this one last phrase? God still has rams in the thicket. Please, I beg of you, um, on this weekend before we celebrate our country's freedom, I'm out for a different type of freedom, a kingdom freedom. And we've been asking as a staff for God to give us the grace to hold things like this instead of clutching them. As long as you clutch, you're not free. God has that for you. So it's hard to talk about someone who went uh, to a community that's just sitting down. Uh, what's going to be great, we're going to segue in a moment to communion. I want to encourage you to grab a response card and whatever that, uh, one of those four things, whatever you're convicted of that you're holding on to, I want to encourage movement with that put action to your faith and i'm going to give you a couple options you can uh before you go to the communion you write that down you can certainly go to the back of the sanctuary and place that on the wall in the back as a prayer request and a team will pray for it or you can feel the nudge where you can turn to someone you trust and say this is what i'm gripping will you pray for me and let them pray with you before you go to the table or you can even come, and this could be our altar, and this could be our Mount Moriah, where you take that and you put it on the altar, and then you do business with God. You say, I'm releasing my grip. Here I am, Hanani. I've been holding on to this. I'm releasing it to you. You're going to have to do it time and time again, but right now, at noon on uh, July the 2nd, I'm releasing this, Hanani. I have no conditions in my obedience. I just don't want you to stay seated or sedentary.
do something with this message, please. Do something. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you so much for your sweet conviction and that there's no condemnation, but that you want us, Lord, to be doers of the word, not just hearers. So I ask that we would, that you would put away pride, put away what do, I, what do others think? It's just us and you in a community of people. Help us to respond right now. Help us to move in faith and trust you. Holy Spirit, release our grip. We can't do it on our own. Give us that faith in the kingdom math instead of the human math. Pray this in Jesus' name. I pray freedom in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the Peninsula Covenant Church podcast. We're located at 3560 Farm Hill Boulevard in Redwood City, California. You can reach us online at www.peninsulacovenant.com.